looking at this situation. We know that Esau already sold his birthright to Jacob, but now we have the question of the blessing, and that seems to be a separate question. We would assume that the promise or prophecy God made to Rebekah would be an indication that Jacob is to gain the birthright and the blessing. The elder was to serve the younger. I assume Isaac circumventing that when he secretly calls Esau and says, bring me this savory dish and I'll give you the blessing. And he doesn't invite Jacob or Rebekah to this occasion. Uh, but Rebekah hears about this and uh, she feels, she, she's got this attachment to Jacob. Uh, he's kind of her favorite and she's got this plan in her mind to get a goat from the flock, cook it right quick, and Isaac's blind, so he won't be able to see, but if they can, you know, get Jacob's uh, neck and hands hairy, for which they use goat skin, and, you know, dress him up in Esau's clothes and probably spray him with essence of wilderness or something, you know, he's going to uh, be a good imitation for Esau, and it's going to make Isaac think it's Esau, so that it tricks him into giving Jacob the blessing. And, um... Well, that's just not very um, honest or ethical or appropriate. And it looks to me like Rebecca's in a situation where she should trust that God is able to carry out his purpose without the aid of man's fraud to get the job done. I don't believe that, that it's wrong for us to cooperate with God's purpose. You know, when God says he'll give us his daily, our daily bread, it doesn't mean we shouldn't work and just wait for him to float it down to us. But it would mean that I should not say, well, I've got to steal to eat so that God can keep his promise to give me his daily bread. You know, we would never do something wrong to accomplish God's purpose. She is. And so I think she's taking matters into her own hands, feeling like she could risk waiting for God to handle things his own way. And it's always tempting to believe that we are accomplishing God's purpose when we use wrong means. After all, in the long run, this is what God wanted to happen anyway. Now, we had talked about some of that, about Rebecca, I think, hadn't we? Uh, do you have some thoughts and comments on Rebecca and her role in this? I'm about to go to Jacob and some of how he deals with this, but that makes sense. Okay. Well, you know, <clears throat> Rebecca is certainly an energetic, decisive person. I think we'd have probably seen that from the story back in 24 when the servant selected her as a wife for Isaac. But she's... she's um, you know, able to sort of convince Jacob to go along with this. One thing, I think we said this last week, but it's good to say it again. Think about your influence on people who are close to you and how it's easier to talk somebody who's close to you into doing wrong. I would say think about your influence on your kids. You know, I think you have to be careful because of your position with your children to be sure you're not trying to encourage them to do something that's wrong. Because kids sometimes have a hard time standing up to a parent like Rebecca 
close to Jacob, you know, her favorite, and just say no. So what did Jacob say in verse 11 and 12 when Rebecca presents the idea to him? He's helping her refine her plan. As a, <laughs> it turns out. Yeah, rather than rather than saying, you know, what? We, we, we can't do this. This wouldn't be right. He doesn't deal with it on the basis of what's right, does he? He more or less deals with it on what basis? On the card. Yeah, whether it'll work or not. Whether or not he get caught or not. He's saying, well, if I do this, it won't work because after all, you know, Jacob, Esau's a hairy man, I'm a smooth man, you know, and probably my father would find out what I'm doing and I'd, you know, get in big trouble and all that. That might all be true. You can understand the logic of what he's saying. There is some risk in this plan, though Rebecca acts to try to, you know, solve that risk. But that's not the issue. When you try to deal with a matter of right and wrong on the basis of whether or not it'll work okay or not, you are really not dealing with it on the right basis. And the devil will outsmart your arithmetic if you're not really saying this is wrong, I won't do it. Think about applications of that. You know, what happens if you're out with some friends one night and they really start pressing you to, you know, drink a beer? And you're, you know, that's, it's kind of embarrassing for you to say, you know, I'm a Christian, I don't do that. You know, uh, I, I respect the Lord, I intend to stay sober, you know, I don't drink. And, but, you know, if you say that, what might you look like in front of your friends? You know, kind of like a baby, kind of like a wimp, kind of like whatever, kind of like, oh, you're one of those religious guys. So what you say is, well, I'd love to, but if my parents ever found out, they'd kill me. See, that doesn't make you look so bad. You know, it sounds like, well, you got really mean parents and you got to... But you see, that's not really the point. If that's the only reason you're not drinking, well, that's not a very good reason. You know, and so what if you say that and they say, hey, we'll never tell. You know, they'll never find out. You know, and all these sorts of things. You know, they'll always come back with a way you can work it out to where those consequences won't happen. You know, uh, I, I, I had a, a friend, and this is, maybe this is the problem. It was kind of funny. He'd been in prison several times for drug violations. And uh, he told me after he got out this last time that where he worked, they were trying to get him to, I don't remember, I think, take some crack or coke or something. And he's like, no, I'm allergic to it. He said, every time, every time I take it, I break out in handcuffs. <laughs> but, but maybe that wasn't the best thing for him to say because in a few months after that, he was doing it again. 
You know, and it's like, well, yeah. Uh, you know, start doing that stuff, you may break out in handcuffs. But, but you've got to have a deeper principle, and you've got to be willing to say, this is wrong. I will not do it. That's what Jacob should have said to Rebecca. We will not deceive my father like this. It is wrong for us to act deceitfully. And I am not going to do something that would dishonor God. Thoughts and comments on that aspect of what Jacob does here? I think one thing is a lot of times our non-Christian friends and our friends that, that aren't the best, they have no reason to not do those things. That's right. So they just view it as, you know, what have I got to lose? I mean, they're willing to do anything because they have no reason to not. That's right. Yeah. It's a whole different situation when we serve the Lord. And so we're not going to have the same principles governing what we do. We're going to have to accept the fact we're going to be different if we're going to serve the Lord. Other thoughts? This is actually going back. It was a thought that I had last night in class because we were right here, amazingly enough. Oh, cool. Anyways. Oh, cool. Um, and this is actually about Esau. When Isaac comes and says, Yo, son, go get me some game and then I'll bless you. You know, the kind of thing. Should Esau have gone to his brother and said, Dad's a little off his rocker again. You need to know about this. Would that have been a, a right thing for him to do? I had never thought about it. As opposed to keeping it a secret? And I hadn't thought about it, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he knew. Uh, so I don't know. Good question. You know, Rebecca answers the objections, and I guess must convince Jacob that she's got this worked out well enough. And after all... How bad is this really going to be? I mean, what's he going to do? He takes a meal to his father. And he says, uh, you know, here's the dish. I mean, is there really anything that wrong with taking a meal and saying, here's the dish? Can you see how easy it is to rationalize some things? And I mean... Is that really like lying? You know, is it really that wrong? After all, is it wrong for him to cook a meal, take it to his father, you know? Now, if his father happens to think that he's Esau and blesses him, well, you know, is that really his fault? I mean, I see how many ways it's easy to rationalize doing wrong. But what we're going to see in the next section is Satan always takes you farther than what you want to go. You know, it doesn't usually work out quite as easily as you think when you start going down the road of, you know, deception and half-truths and whatever else. So, would somebody read uh, 18 to 29? Then he came to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game, that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. 
Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him, and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven, and of the fatness of the earth, and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. So, he comes into his father, and he says, My father. And he probably wasn't counting on his father's next couple of lines. His father said, here I am, and then what? Who are you? Ooh. Well, what does he say? Yeah. Esau, your firstborn. Like, clearly lying. Wow. That's, that's not much way to rationalize that one, is there? <laughs> you know, and not just, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Get up, please. Sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. He's getting pretty chatty. Yes, he <laughs> is. Why do you think? He's nervous. Yes, he's tense. And maybe something else. He's providing the details of the arrangement between Isaac and Jacob or Isaac and Esau. Esau so that Isaac thinks oh this is Esau. Yes, good point. I'm thinking of something else he's probably concerned about. Trying to cause him to not say anything else so he can show them up. Maybe. Trying to get it over with so that his dad will just do it and then he's blessed and he can get out of there. Why does he want to get out of there so quickly? Because he's scared. Esau's going to come back. Yeah, he's got to get this done in a timely fashion. What happens if Esau shows up in the middle of this one? And as it turned out, he had just left when Esau comes in. So that was be a realistic concern for him, too. So I think he's trying, he's tense. And this is, you know, have you ever noticed how people are when they're lying? <laughs> they usually do get tense. I've got a friend who struggled with lying a lot, and I can usually tell when he starts just talking and jabbering and telling me all sorts of unnecessary details, it's like a giveaway. Because we're tense about it. You know, you just kind of, you know, you start telling too much. You know, just, I think it's kind of a natural thing. So it's like, whoa, that was a lot to the question of who are you, my son? You know? But so he's gone from deceit to just flagrant falsehood. Well then, Isaac doesn't stop with that. What does Isaac ask him in verse 20? You did it so fast. Whoa, this is getting really tense. How'd you get it so quick? 
God did it. <laughs> Whoa! Would Jacob have ever thought he would have done this? He says, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. He introduces God's name in a blasphemous fashion. The Lord didn't have anything to do with this. Wow. If you'd have told Jacob the day before you're going to flat out blaspheme God and lie about him, he'd have said, no way. But he gets in the middle of this sticky situation and it's the easiest thing he can think of to say. Do you see how Satan always takes you farther than you want to go when you make that first compromise? Comments. It's like you expect to see hear the lightning bolt at this point come down. I know. <laughs> I know. That is. That that's shocking. But I mean, he's kind of caught. I mean, once he said, I'm Esau, your son, and all that other stuff, now he's got to make this, he's got to convince him. You know, he's got to do something. Cass. I think it's interesting. I pointed out this a lot that he says the Lord, your God, not my God, not the Lord. He says the Lord, your God. Is Maybe God. so. He's not exactly uh, Jacob's God at the moment, is he? <laughs> Jacob. I thought it was kind of interesting when he, he comes in, um, Isaac says, who are you, my son? Like, he already knows who he is, but he's just clarifying. Like, I don't know, like he had some suspicions. I don't know, it just seemed weird that he said, who are you, my son? Because he already knows who it is, but he's still asking who it is. Maybe that's because of verse 23. Uh, 22. Isaac says, the voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. That's after he said, come closer, I can feel you. So he feels him and he says, it's, it's Jacob's voice, but Esau's hands. What does that tell you all of a sudden? He's got very keen hearing still. <laughs> he does. And what does that tell Jacob? Mr. Boat. I think I talked a little too much. <laughs> Whoa, all that chattiness early on was kind of giving himself away. And you notice he is very brief in his answers from here on out. Shoo, that almost did him in right there. Do you think Rebecca's around the corner going, <laughs> She forgot to tell him to not say much, didn't she? <laughs> I don't know why he hadn't thought about that. You know, but I take it that he hadn't. And I wonder if that's why Isaac said that to begin with. If it's like, sounds like Jacob. I mean, they're twins. You would think that they have similar voices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I know a lot of people yeah. don't look like I them. Not. <laughs> yeah. I would assume from their difference of physiognomy they were fraternal and not, what's the other kind? Identical. identical. Yeah. And if so, they're probably not much different than brothers, and brothers sometimes have similar voices, but a lot of times they don't. I don't know. That, that's what I was thinking, too, that there might be something about them that is still similar enough that he might not, he knows it's one of his sons, but he doesn't know which one because they haven't said enough or whatever for him to figure it out. But yeah, so in 24, are you really my son Esau? And what does Jacob say? Yeah. I'm, 
<laughs> it's just hilarious. <laughs> wow, this was a nerve-wracking scene. Wow, this would be, uh, you know, pretty good for a movie or something. You know, it's like, you know, is he still going to come back? Is is Isaac going to be convinced? You know, is this whole thing going to blow up in his face? You know. Is he going to get struck by lightning? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So many cliffhangers in this. Yes, place. that's exactly right. And so, you know, he says, "Bring it to me that I'll eat of the game." And he brings it to him. Says, "Come close and kiss me." And Jacob kisses Isaac and becomes with that his father's Judas. You know, kind of sad. But he smells the smell of his garments and he's wearing a sense of wilderness and all that. So he blesses him. And wow, does he ever bless him? You know, be the master of your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. She only has one other one. Cursed be those who curse you, blessed be those who bless you. I mean, this is a pretty comprehensive blessing. He wasn't going to leave any out for Jacob. You're exactly right. Wow. He had in mind to just cut Jacob out entirely. I bet that's why he didn't invite Jacob to the blessing ceremony. What do you think? And, um... So he managed to thoroughly deceive his father. Might I remind you of something we'll come to later. 29.25 So it came about in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? You know, Jacob didn't like it very well when he got deceived. You know, so he's going to get back what he dished out, and uh, there's actually a lot of parallels in that. So, this is the story. You know, he manages to convince Isaac and, you know, swindle the blessing. Comments. Cameron. Is there a reason why he says, your mother's sons, not my sons, or your brothers, just your mother's sons? I don't know. Sounds more poetic, I don't know. Is there anything in your translation that is indicative of, like, all the blessing is yours? Well, no, except be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you and all that means that he's going to be the dominant one. Okay. And the fact that he didn't have anything left for Esau. Yeah. Yeah, he gives him all the, you know, all the good stuff. So... He's going to be the dominant one, at least. What, what was the power behind this blessing? Do we, do we know? It appears that you give a blessing and it happens, and you give a curse and it happens. Now, one of the Proverbs says that an ill-founded curse will not land. Hmm. You know, uh, what, what proverb, where is that in Proverbs? Anybody remember that one? It's, it's near the end of Proverbs. Uh, but that so so uh, in fact I know where it is. I think it's Proverbs twenty six. Uh, like a sparrow in its flitting, like a swallow in its flying, 
So a curse without cause does not alight. What's flitting? So uh, a, a groundless curse, according to the proverb, won't really happen. But in general, they seem to have believed, and it seemed to have been, that the blessings and cursings actually would happen. I don't completely understand that. Kevin. Would it still work today if we bless somebody and it goes along with God's plan? Would it still bless them? I don't know. I curse them. Probably the better thing to do is just pray. Guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think another thing that I kind of see that we do is we kind of deceive ourselves and to make to deceive ourselves into thinking that our ideas are always going to work in deceiving people and even deceiving God. Um, like, uh, people, the first thing when they do, when they sin, is they try to hide it. And they put on a mask to not tell people about it because they're trying to deceive people into making them believe you know, that they're good people and they, they don't want to talk about it. Um, but I think a lot of times we deceive ourselves into making ourselves think that it's not that bad and that we won't get caught and that, you know, it's fine. And, you know, I. I definitely think that that's what he does to himself here, too. Okay. Well, 30 to 40. And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of Isaac his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And he also had made savory meat and brought it to his father, and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac his father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, thy firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? <laughs> Where is he that has taken venison and brought it to me? And I have eaten all before you came and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceedingly bitter cry, and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came in with subtlety, and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times, and took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered to Esau, Behold, I have made him thy lord, and all his brethren I have given to him for servants. With the corn and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said to his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even also my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. And Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of the heaven from above. And by the sword thou shalt live, and, by, and serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass, and thou shalt have the dominion, and thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. So, talk about timing. Just happened, Jacob had barely gotten out of there when Esau arrived. Probably spared Jacob's life that he'd gotten out of there. And Esau comes in and says... Uh, you know, I've got this game here for you, Father, so that you can bless me. Uh-oh. 
I suspect right about then, Isaac gets this sick feeling in the pit of his stomach. Who are you? Well, I'm I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And you know, Isaac starts trembling violently. He's like, "Who was the one I gave the blessing to?" And I suspect it all comes clear to him. He realizes what's happened. He knew that voice. You know, I can imagine him. Oh. But it's too late. And it's just horrible. And he said, I blessed him. He'll be, he'll be the one blessed. And Esau is so upset. Bless me too. He said, no, your brother came and he stole it. He came in deceitfully. He said, is he not rightly named Jacob? The guy who grabs everything for himself? You know, two times he took away my birthright and now he's taken away my blessing. I'll tell you, isn't it kind of funny? When did he take away his birthright? When he was... Hungry first. He was hungry because he was Hunting. coming back in from a hunt and he takes his blessing when he was going out for the hunt. You know, right before he gets back in. You know, it, it, wow. And you can imagine how just, man, this is so hard for Esau. And, you know, he's like, don't you have a blessing for me? You know, can I get one too? It's like, well, there's not much left. You know, it, however we view this blessing business, you can think about a couple of things. There's a, there's a sort of irreversible quality of words. You can't ever unsay them. You know, doesn't that stink? Have you ever said something that's like, oh, uh, it's too late. You said it. You can't just take it back. That's true. And, and we need to think about that. Because, and sometimes words do terrible damage. And it's just, it's like, it's out of your control once it escapes your mouth. And, 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 and there's a lot of ways in which we cannot reverse the past in general. You know, you can't undo a lot of stuff. We really need to think about it. Everything we say and do has its consequences. So, it's too late. And so he gives him his <coughs> blessing away from the fertility of the earth and the dew of heaven and you will live by your sword and you'll serve your brother and, you know, you will eventually break his yoke off your neck. <laughs> you know, not very... You know, not very good. No, this is kind of an anti-blessing almost. But it's all that's left. And that's the way it will be. Comments and questions. I wonder if Isaac knew that Jacob had taken his birthright. I don't know the answer to that. And when, when would that have been fulfilled or if it ever was? Well, I suppose it would have been fulfilled if it was whenever Isaac dies. Right. Yeah, I don't know if, uh, you know, I don't know if Jacob went to Isaac and told him he had to change the will or, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't take, Esau doesn't say this in a way that makes me think that he's presenting new information to Isaac. Right. So, but. Or if he's even saying it out loud, which could be that he's yeah. saying to himself. Maybe, but he's so upset, I bet he's yelling and screaming it. I don't know. That's what I'm picturing. 
who who owned who owned the blessing? He says your brother came and has taken away your blessing. Well, the blessing intended for Esau, but it's like the words themselves have power. But was it in? Yeah, it was intended by Isaac for Esau. Right, but since Jacob got it, he has it. Was it supposed to go to Jacob? Yes. Why? Because God said that uh, when Rebecca was pregnant, that the older would serve the younger. So at least that aspect of the blessing was supposed to be Esau serving Jacob. Okay. That's the only thing in that that I see. I mean, we often say that he was supposed to get the blessing and would have gotten it anyway, but I don't necessarily see that. All I see is that the older would serve the younger. So the fact that we talked before about how Rebecca was trying to help God out, I don't know that, I, don't, I guess I really don't see that as far as the blessing. Well, at least that was a major aspect of the blessing. I mean, that's probably the most damaging thing about the blessing is that, you know, you'll be master of your brothers and may your mother's son bow down to you. And it's repeated also in verse 40, your brother you shall serve. So, I mean, I would take that as a key angle in what Isaac was saying. At least that much was not supposed to be that way. I personally think we give Rebecca too much credit as trying to do what God was wanting done, whereas I see it as she was conniving just as much as Isaac was for her favorite as he was for his favorite. I agree with that. And I'm not sure it had anything to do with what God had told her about the older serving the younger. I don't know if there's any evidence necessarily that she's like, hey, you're supposed to be the one because God said so, therefore let's do this. She's more like, you're my favorite son. You should be the one getting this blessing. Let's do this and, and get it done. Yeah. Whether she thought about that or not, it's probably impossible for us to know. I agree that her motivation was primarily that she favored Jacob. I'm not saying that she was really so worried about God's will being done. I guess I've imagined that was kind of an excuse for her, but maybe it wasn't, I don't know. And, and if she believed it at all, she sure didn't act in a way that she believed anything. <laughs> you know, if, if you believe God and that he said this was going to happen, then to turn around and do everything deceitful and, and underhanded to try to accomplish what he has already promised. It's kind of what Sarah does, though, with Hagar. I mean, which may mean that Sarah didn't believe it. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It, it's kind of a backwards kind of. Yeah, in a sense, of course, that's true. If we feel like we've got to do something wrong to help God out, then are we really believing God will do it? Right. You know. So, but we can still be partially thinking about that in our just justifying ourselves. Maybe, maybe an impossible thing to know exactly what was in her mind. Sarah? You may have already mentioned this, but how old were Esau and Jacob about this time? I believe that Jacob was 77. Because, I mean, that, that's something that we had talked about last night, and, you know, it was like 60, 70, 80, somewhere along there. And that just... You think of them as being 
almost kids yeah, acting like quarreling. This, you know, <laughs> I'm going to dress up in my brother's clothes and get the blessing, and and these are. 77, 75 year old brother still feuding. Mm hmm. Makes you understand why she was concerned about him getting married. About <laughs> <Long> time. <laughs> and then it still took him another 14 years to get her seven for the first marriage. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's something else that we're not seeing in all that, too. The way you, I mean, there's. Uh, maybe you went through the calculations, but if you go through all the calculations, that seems to be the way the, the, the narrative presents it. I would not stake my life on us missing something and all that. Because that does seem a little weird. It seems a little bit weird to me in the sense that, you know, Abraham thought he was so old at a hundred. Or maybe he was just mostly thinking of Sarah. I don't know. But, you know, you can do the calculations, and based upon the numbers we've got, 77 seems to be the, the year. But to make them younger would make Isaac younger and be even more odd that he's thinking he's near death. Now, and that is a good point, yes. And he lived another 43 years. Something yeah, because yeah, he was 180, and this would have been, if they were 77, he'd have been 137. Right. So that is a good point, yeah. So... Yeah, some of those deductions, I mean, I'm just like, okay, that's what it looks like to me. I'm not missing anything there. But but uh, you can you can run the calculations, and that seems to be, so. But where are you calculating to get that? Man, you had to run that through all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I actually have it written down. Go ahead and give I, it to I, me. Well, can you do it? Uh, Isaac was 60 years old when Jacob was born. Jacob was uh, 130 years old when he went to Egypt with Joseph. Joseph was 39 at that time. Joseph was born after Jacob worked 14 years for Rachel. So you take the 130 minus 39 minus 14 gives you 77, which is his age at this time, plus then the 60 for Isaac. And we know those because... Um, see what, how much did you, you had the, alright, go through that again, let's. So you have, uh, Jacob was 130 when he went to Egypt. Okay, yeah, and that's in Genesis 46, I think. Uh, 47.9. And then, okay, and we know how old Joseph was when Jacob moved there, more or less. You could be off a little bit here, but because Joseph was 17 when he went to Egypt. Uh, he was 37 when he became the Pharaoh, vice Pharaoh. How do we know that? There's something about 20 years in there. It says so. Yeah, I think, it, it, or maybe it says so. And then he says to his brothers, there's gonna be five more years of famine. And so putting all that together, is how we come up with him being about 39. Yeah, there's some statement about, I can't, I'm trying to remember what statement it was. 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. Yeah. Okay, yes. 41, 46. Okay, very good. 41, 46, he was 30 when he stood before Pharaoh. They have the seven years of plenty, right. and then they're two years deep into the famine if there's five more years of famine. Yeah. So that would make him 39, 
And so you take 39 off of the 130, Jacob was 91, or Joseph was, uh, Jacob was 91 when Joseph went into Egypt. And then, you know, Joseph seems to have been born about the end of those 14 years he worked for Rachel and Leah. So that puts him about 77 here, yeah. You said Joseph was 39 when what, when he became? He was about 39 when Jacob came to Egypt in Genesis 46. Because he was 17, then 30 when he appeared before Pharaoh, then you've got seven years of plenty that make him 37, and he tells the brothers there's five more years of famine. So we're assuming they've gone through two years of famine. I mean, clearly those dates could be off by a year here, there, and yonder. I mean, I'm not sure how long it took Jacob to get down there. I mean, there's several little minor things that could be off just a little bit in that, but it looks like it's pretty close. But not enough to make them, like, teenagers when this happened. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, exactly. If we're talking about off, it's be a year or two or something like that. So yeah, they're 77. And they're both the same age, so. <laughs> Twins usually are. Thank you for that. Well, that makes the whole That's story even more team. disappointing from Jacob's perspective. You're exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, if he was just, you know, 12 or something, maybe you'd think he was, yeah. you know, even, less responsible. Even maybe 20. Yeah. 77. <laughs> <laughs> he did a long career of grabbing things. And he's not married yet. Yeah. But Esau was married when he was 40. 40. Yeah. Yeah. Got two wives by the age of forty. And I assume they all still lived together or close by. Yeah, evidently. Yeah. He still follows his mom's advice. <laughs> his mom was still doing his laundry. <laughs> <laughs> Dressing him. Dressing <laughs> him. After he was married for thirty years, thirty-seven years. Let, let that be a lesson to you guys. I don't know if what, but. <laughs> well, other <laughs> questions or comments? <laughs> but some directions I wasn't expecting, so. All right, well, we've kind of anticipated somewhat this next section, so 41 to 46. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now when the words of her elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise, flee to Haran, to my brother Laban, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. Then I shall send to get you there. Why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth like these, from the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Okay. And the story goes on in chapter 28. But how does Esau feel toward Jacob? He wants to kill him. Potentially a second Cain right here. And uh, what's he waiting on? His father did that. Yeah, once the day's mourning for his father to be over, he would hate to grieve his father on his deathbed, though as we have figured out, 
he lives for decades after this. But is that surprising? I mean, how many times has somebody been given up for dead and then lives another 10 or 20 or 30 years? I mean, it happens all the time for us. So it's not surprising it happened for them. You know, he got, well, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, but that's what he's thinking. You know, he's going to die right away, and as soon as he does, then I'm going to kill Jacob. Uh, verse 42, though, indicates this must be more than what Esau was thinking. Right? He's told somebody. Must be. If you don't want Rebecca to find out, don't say it out loud. Because the words of Esau were reported to Rebecca, and she goes into action again. She's pretty quick. Pretty quick thinker. What does she plan? To send Jacob to Laban. Which is her brother. equally talented scheming brother. You know, <laughs> they, they tell you what, this uh, this deceit business definitely runs in the family. <laughs> makes, you, makes you think Rebecca and Laban would have been the twins, doesn't it? Shoot. Uh, so, she's like, hey, I want you to go there and marry, you know, get a wife and, and whatever. Actually, that's what she tells Isaac, but apparently that's what she's got in mind. But mostly to get him away from Esau. You know, first she got the blessing away from Esau. Now she's got to get Jacob away from Esau. And uh, she thinks, well, when he calms down, then I'll call you back. No evidence she ever did that. I'm assuming they never will see each other again. So she comes to Isaac, and her presentation to him is... You know, I just can't stand these wives uh, of of Esau. You know, I don't I don't want Jacob to take one. You know, if he does, what good's life? And so she's suggesting they. You know, at seventy seven, it's time for him to get married. Let's tend him back up to Herod. Comments and questions, guys. This is kind of surprising to me. Like, I know, like I have a brother and. I really love Shane, and, and we're really close. Uh, like, but even if we weren't, and he really did something to make me mad, I don't think I would want to kill him. I'm glad to know that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't like. I've, all, I've always never got that. Like he stole, yeah, he stole the blessing. But I mean, they are brothers, so why? Would, I don't get why he would ever want to actually kill him. That's always been kind of weird to me. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're very happy about that. I mean, I think he's just selfish and jealous and angry. I mean, you know, he got hurt by his brother twice. Brother, you know, I mean, why did Cain want to kill Abel? I mean, there's, you know, if you're filled with jealousy and resentment and bitterness and, you know, you're self-focused, I mean, people do all sorts of things that thankfully we don't feel. You know, it's better if you don't. Well, and there's also this... It's not just these two incidents. I mean, it appears there's a long history of favoritism uh, by the parents. So there's there are probably hundreds of, of little slights and pricks and, and, you know, he gets this better. So, I mean, it's a buildup of all of these things over the past 80 years that he's also probably... It's true. I mean, pa parents who play favorites probably tend to lead to more sibling conflict, I would say. Cameron. Plus, for both Cain and Esau here, it's in the heat of their anger. The dude just got the better here. And Cain goes out and kills, and he makes a plan to kill. He doesn't end up doing it. He ends up being sad about it. He ends up 
um, forgiving Jacob. But here, it's in the heat of his anger. He's like, I'm going to kill this dude. Yeah. Have you ever lost your temper? You know, how rational are you in those moments? So, uh, you know, it's, it's good if we never feel that, but I don't think it's that hard to imagine given the whole circumstance. Well, chapter 28, verses 1 to 9. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him, and charged, and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac so Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to the Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a, to take himself a wife from there. And that he, as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had... And, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padanaram. Also, Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Midajaj. Isaac goes along with this. <coughs> Seems that both Rebekah and Isaac agree that Esau's wives are awful. And he said, don't take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, but go to Panaram and take a wife from the daughters of your uncle Laban. What do you think about that? It worked so well the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. What? Oh, it's weird that he blessed him again. Yes, although this blessing may be less, like, comprehensive, but yeah. What do you think about the choices he's giving to Isaac? We'll marry your cousin. Yeah, and how many does he have to choose from? Two. Two. <laughs> so, uh, he's not going to get a very wide choice there. Uh, it's kind of funny, but that seems to be more the way it was in some of these situations. And he blesses him and sends him away. And so Isaac and Rebekah at least both agree on the plan to send Jacob back to Laban. Maybe not for the same reasons. Esau, he realizes that his wife, his wife's choice, has not pleased his parents. And uh, that they sent Jacob back up to pay Naram to get a relative to marry. And so what does Esau do? He gets a close-by relative. He does. A descendant of? Which is not the promised line. You know, of course, Esau wasn't either when it's all said and done. Um, and, and why does he do that, really, according to verse 8? So that he would hope that 
hopefully please mom and dad. No. Read it again. Yeah, so he could hopefully please his father. Oh yeah, that's what I... Yeah. That's what I meant. I know, but I'm making a point with that. As far as we know, he doesn't care what his mother thought. <laughs> but he doesn't want to please his father. Yeah, that, that's the only point I'm making. Is that, uh, you know, not necessarily would her will matter to him. And I think he thinks he's doing this by marrying an Ishmaelite. But really, that kind of seals his status as rejected son. Now he's married to a rejected, you know, side of the lineage as well. And the families of these two older sons... The older son of Abraham and the older son of Isaac are now united in marriage. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. And so we end this section. Jacob has the birthright and the blessing, and Isaac has, th- or and Esau has three wives. So Jacob is sent to marry his mother's brother's daughter. Daughter, and Esau goes and marries his father's brother's daughter. That's correct. Okay. Yes. That is correct. So he's the, he, so Esau's thinking, perhaps that that it's the like this. It's, it's the family thing that we're that I was doing right. wrong. I married somebody too far. Yes. Too unrelated, or something. Yes. Oh. I don't think Esau understands real deeply some of these principles, yeah. but yeah, I think that's what he's thinking. Okay. Did Jacob get his birthright before he went? Or? Yeah, I'm assuming so. Now. Got it in the sense that he received the, like, status of having the birthright. I'm not saying that he received the inheritance yet. I assume he wouldn't have received that until Isaac died. And we never said, told another thing about the birthright as far as I know. So I don't know how that really worked its way out in practice. Maybe he didn't need it after coming back? Probably didn't. He was got pretty rich off of Laban. No thanks to Laban. Probably no thanks to him either. I think that was mostly God's doing. Almost appears like maybe there was still some knowledge or contact between Rebecca and Laban. Pony Express or something. Yeah. They at least knew he had daughters or yeah, Express. <laughs> or maybe he had them before she'd left. I don't know. Probably not though. That would make really quite an age difference between Jacob and Rachel and Leah. So. Do we know what the age difference no. might have been? I don't think we ever know Rachel and Leah's ages. But we, we certainly can't imagine marrying an older woman. So. I don't know. Other questions or comments? Um, this is back in chapter 27, but verse 45, why should I be bereaved of you both in one day? Is that Isaac and Jacob? I think so. Do you see why? Because Isaac would die and then Esau would die. No, oh, you said Isaac. No, I think Jacob and Esau. Oh. I think Jacob and Esau. He'd kill Jacob and then what's the penalty for murder? Death. He would die. Yeah, I think that's what she what he, okay. uh, she said. So she'd leave, lose all three of them. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming Isaac will really kick the bucket soon. <laughs> Other thoughts? One of the questions we had in class was, who's the, who's the good guy in this story? <laughs> Did you find one? There really isn't one. The Lord. <laughs> yeah. Outside of that, I don't think there's any human character in this story that's good. 
I think they all, we mostly know them by their flaws. I, you know, up to this point, tell me one good thing Jacob's done. Listen uh, to his parents to go away. Yeah, maybe that. <laughs> Obeyed his mother. Yeah, but he doesn't go away till verse 10, I said up to this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, it's hard to put your finger on nearly anything that's really virtuous in Jacob all through this. You know, God is using some pretty unpromising material when it comes to this family. It's amazing that God can make something out of them. Including, I think, ultimately, he'll make something out of Jacob. But it sure wasn't easy. Jacob, Jacob makes it more complicated than it needed to be. That, you know, that was kind of what got me to thinking about whether there, whether Esau should have done something to, you know, expose this secret blessing ceremony that was in the offing, and because you you don't see him being okay. Later, he wants to kill his brother, but. Yeah, he's in one sense. He's his father says, "Go do this," and he goes and gets the game. And then he comes in, and he's been tricked again. He's somewhat innocent, but not. You know, he has other issues. But yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Other questions or comments? Come. This goes back to chapter twenty-seven, um, <coughs> verse forty. It's a, at the end of it. It says that he'll break uh, the yoke from his neck. Yes. Is there a recorded time that he does that? Yes. Wait. The Edomites became independent at various times in the history, right. I guess, of the divided kingdom. I'm not sure I can point to the exact passage where that happens, but there may be one. <coughs> then also, doesn't... When Jacob comes back, they kind of are... More equal, I guess, than, than... Well, yeah, although I don't know that in their actual lives Jacob ever really was the master of Esau. This is more their descendants. <coughs> Anything else? So, Jacob takes off uh, on his way to Padanaram. How about... Uh, let's go ahead and read 10 to 22. We may not finish all this and talking about it, but let's read 10 to 22. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went to Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there, because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head, and lay down in that place. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, <coughs> the land on which you lie, and I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. <coughs> he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone 
that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top on its top. He called the name of the place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God be with me, and will keep me on this journey that I take, and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I <coughs> set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Okay, so Jacob departs. He spends the night in a certain place, uh, hard up for pillows, so he uses... Uh, and he has this dream. And what does he see in the dream? A ladder going up to heaven. Yeah, and what's happening on this ladder? Angels going up to heaven. Yes. Does that remind you of anything? The Tower of Babel. Uh, okay, that's okay, but not what it reminded me of. Not what I was thinking of. The hymn, Nearer My God to Thee. <laughs> yeah, not what I was thinking of. Something in the New Testament. Jesus. Jesus in John three John one fifty one Jesus uses this figure <clears throat> when he said to uh, Nathaniel who was so impressed because Jesus saw him when he was under the fig tree and knew what his character was like and Jesus said in John one fifty uh, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree do you believe you will see greater things than these he said to him truly truly I say to you you will, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man you will see that I have this close connection with heaven and I'm blessed by you know heaven's angels in a sense Jesus is Jacob's staircase, Jacob's ladder, the connection between earth and heaven. But I think this is saying to Jacob, I will be with you. I will bless you. I will help you. You've got, you, I've got messengers to send down to you. God is being very generous to Jacob and promising him to be with him and, and to take care of him on this journey and even giving him these these promises that his descendants would be uh, numerous and they'd spread out and uh, he'd bless all the families of the earth. And he says in verse 15, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. There's a great emphasis here on what God will do. And God is telling Jacob, I will be with you. I will bless you. I will bring you back. And when Jacob wakes up, it's like, whoa, the Lord's been here. This is amazing. Um, some a textual question, kind of a translation question. In verse 13, behold, the Lord st stood above it. The margin said the Lord stood beside him. That's better in my judgment. I don't think the Lord's on top of the ladder. I think the Lord's beside Jacob. That's a translational issue. Uh, but I think the margin is better. Uh, so God is promising to be with uh, Jacob, promising what he's going to do with his descendants before he had any talking about how he's going to come back before he ever left in the land itself. Uh, but they're very amazing for Jacob and a very great blessing to have this reassuring, these reassuring promises of God's presence and blessings as he makes what must have been kind of an insecure kind of a trip, you know, all the way back to Padnera. <coughs> Comments or questions through verse 17? This seems surprising. Why? Because... Jacob didn't deserve it. You're right. In that sense, very much so. God does not seem to restrict his presence or blessings to those who deserve it. 
thankfully. But yeah, you're right. Jacob's a mess. Look. Does it ever give a description of an angel besides the glowing light? Yeah. There are some passages that describe them. Um, Daniel 10, for example. It gives a pretty long description. But the descriptions don't, aren't all the same. I don't think angels always appeared in the same form. And I don't know that the descriptions have much to do with what angels really look like. Because they're almost always in human form when we see them, but angels really don't have flesh and bones, uh, according to Jesus in Luke 24. So I think we're just sort of seeing angels, or people saw angels kind of assume human bodies, but not that they really had them. Other thoughts through 17? Well, Jacob wants to kind of commemorate uh, this place. So he takes a stone, the one he uses as a pillow, sets it up as a pillar, pours oil on it, calls the place Bethel, house of God, not Luz, like it had been. And he makes this vow. If God will be with him and bless him and bring him back, then he would surely give a tenth of everything he'd gotten. He's basically going to pay Naram with nothing, but as he comes back, he'll, get, he'll dedicate a tenth to the Lord and give it to him. You know, if the Lord will take care of him and bless him. Now, I think it's interesting, this tenth business. We saw that also with Abraham and Melchizedek. Abraham giving Melchizedek a tenth. This is not the law of Moses. This is pre-law of Moses. And uh, I don't believe that we're under anything in the Old Testament but I do find it interesting that a tenth seems to have been appropriate for Abraham to give to Melchizedek, for Jacob to dedicate to the Lord, for the people of Israel to give to the temple and the priests and so forth. You know, it may be a helpful guide for us, even though I don't think there's any binding uh, statement that says exactly how much we ought to give. I just do think that's intriguing. All right, comments and questions then on chapter 28. This isn't the only time that the place Luz has been changed, is it? Because in Judges, there's a place called Luz, and the Israelites capture it, and they save one dude from it, and he runs away and builds another Luz. Would You're, that be the same Luz, the original one? Uh, Judges this, 1. Yes, it is Judges 1. It's, uh, well... You know, in Judges 1.23, the house of Joseph spied out Bethel. Now, the name of the city was formerly Luz. And then he builds another Bethel. So I think Judges 1.23 is reflecting this change in name that Jacob made from Luz to Bethel. So that is the same place? I would assume so. Okay. Yeah. I believe I'm right, but I just read this. I didn't count. That the second most frequently mentioned city name in the Old Testament is Bethel. I could be wrong about that. But I can't think of any that would be mentioned more than Jerusalem and then Bethel. Other thoughts, comments, questions? Seems kind of like he's waiting for God to give him something before he's... You know, willing to commit to him, like he's kind of waiting on God to meet his end of the bargain, then he'll serve him. Some people read it that way. And maybe so. That would sort of stand in character for Jacob, always kind of bargaining and manipulating. 
I'm still not totally inclined. I mean, if God's not with him and brings him back safely, well, he's obviously not going to uh, give him a tithe there. But maybe so. I mean, that would certainly stand in, in character for Jacob, so it may be. But that's what God promised him in verse 15. Good point. You know, I'm with you. I'll keep you wherever you go, and I'm going to bring you back. Good so point. Now he's, now he's kind of reiterating that in a sense. So. Yeah, good point. So, I mean, sometimes these ifs are almost like when. You know, if God, but he's assuming God will. Therefore, it's almost like saying when God does this. Yes. I mean, it looks like there are two things that he talks about. In verse 21, you know, if I return and everything, then the Lord will be my God. And then in 22, then he'll he'll give a tenth. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's saying, all right, this is your chance. I'll let you be my God. <laughs> Almost. Yeah. I mean, that may be the way to read that. It's, it's kind of interpretive, but yeah, it may be. Other thoughts? Earlier it was mentioned that um, Jacob said, you're God. And yeah. here, it again, is saying that it's not his God yet. 77 years isn't enough to take on your father's dad? Um, yeah. And it's still another 14 years and he'll make his decision to follow God? Is that a good... Not, is that just not good parenting or something? <laughs> or not a good decision? <laughs> well, hey, if you're 77, I don't think we could blame the parents, but... Uh, well, I mean, somewhere before then, you would have <laughs> been taught to serve your parents. I'm just you not so sure that this is saying, okay, then you'll be my God, and you won't be before then. Uh, but I don't see Jacob as all that spiritual, even in this, so... I don't know. I'm just wondering, like in, in verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. How awesome is this place. There is none other. This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. It's almost like this is the first time that Jacob has an interaction, so to speak, with God. Could which, be. which is still kind of weird, but well, the first one we really know about. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to see it as he's testing Jacob for Jacob's good. You know, uh, God's been working with Abraham in the past, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, it just reminds me of when he told Abraham to offer Isaac on the, you know, for the sacrifice, and, and as he goes to, he stops him, he says, now I know that you trust me. It's like, well, I think God knew that beforehand, but it was for Abraham's benefit, that, you know, that he did that, and I don't know, I just kind of see this as another, you know, like a faith test. Mm -hmm. obviously several ways of reading some of these things but anyway you look at it the Lord's going to be with Jacob and Jacob is on his way to Laban to find a wife so I'm going to stop there and as I said last week I will not be here next Thursday I will be here next next Thursday and I won't be here next, next, next Thursday. So off, on, off, and then on for about four or five weeks before I go to Brazil. Thank you for your participation. Thank you. Uh, April the 14th is when my tickets are for.
I believe when which is the Tuesday? May tenth? May ninth. Whatever the Tuesday is right in there. That's what they said on the way home. They changed the forecast. Really? Yeah, they said we're going to get four to seven here in Indianapolis. Whoa, because I looked at the forecast right before this. On the way home, this is what they were saying. Already all day today, I heard it in. When I looked on the National Weather Service at about 445, and they were saying one to three here. As I was driving here, it said four to seven. Wow. So I don't know. Obviously, I don't. <laughs> this is a narrow band, so and so they had said this could shift, and it's going to be really intense where it is. So maybe it's shifting farther south. Oh, yeah, be very heavy snow at times in the morning. Okay. I guess we'll find out tomorrow. <laughs> That's when I'm going to find out.